0: So here we are, it is a Tuesday, just two days until the next vaunted Republican debate, which I will have to cover because that's the sort of sacrifice I make for you. But today, we'll talk about Planned Parenthood, we'll talk about the Democratic Town Hall, and we'll talk about a brand new movie that is now being bid on at Sundance. We'll talk about what that means for America. I'm Ben Shapiro, this is The Ben Shapiro Show. tend to demonize people who don't care about your feelings. So here in TD2 we are. And let's start with what happened at the Democratic Town Hall last night. So first of all, important to mention, quick note about the Democratic Town Hall. The Town Hall was Democratic because of the moderators, not just because of the participants. The moderator was Chris Cuomo. Chris Cuomo is the brother of Andrew Cuomo, who is the governor of New York, and the son of Mario Cuomo, the former governor of New York. Chris Cuomo is a full-scale, complete idiot. I mean, he's a low-IQ dude who's very much to the left. He routinely tweets stupid things, and I have to bash him over the head about the stupid things that he tweets. So he was moderating this this obscenity, and this is just how it works in the media, right? You got George Stephanopoulos, who once had a basically like a love affair with Hillary Clinton, and he's now the head of ABC News, the head of CBS News. A guy named David Rhodes. David Rhodes is the brother to Ben Rhodes, who's the National Security Advisor to the President of the United States, President Obama. And then of course you have on CNN Chris Cuomo, who is the brother of the current Governor of New York. So. The media and Washington, D.C., the media and the Democratic Party, it's, it's this incestuous duo, and it really is kind of gross. So what I want to talk about as far as the Democrat debate last night is what you keep hearing from the media is if you just watch these Democrats, this Bernie Sanders, this Hillary Clinton, if you just watch them closely, what you'll notice is that they're so upbeat. All they are, They're upbeat. You look at the Republicans, and they're so downbeat. They're always talking down the country. They're always talking about how... Their enemies are bad. They're always ripping on people on the other side. They don't bring people together. But Bernie Sanders and Hillary, they're running such optimistic, wonderful campaigns, positive campaigns. And then you watch these town halls, and what you realize is that that is not true in the slightest. What you realize is that when Democrats, when Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton in particular, have to talk about what is supposed to be appealing about them personally, there's nothing there. It's only when they're attacking Republicans that they gain any sort of credence and credibility. They have to be on the attack in order for them to be successful. And the point here is that that is not that Republicans shouldn't be on the attack on the other side. It's that Republicans need to understand this is how the game is played. Politics is a game of opposition. Democrats understand this. Republicans don't. Democrats also have the media on their side. So when Democrats play the politics of opposition, the media pretend they're not doing it. When Republicans play the politics of opposition, all they hear is how divisive they are we'll jump right in. Hillary Clinton last night, I mean, you want to look at some unattractive candidates. Here's Hillary Clinton last night being asked about having a private email server and hiding emails and deleting emails and using her private email server to funnel classified information. Here is Hillary Clinton answering that question.
1: Well, I think that there, you know, look, I was delighted to get the uh, the registers uh, endorsement. And it was a, a very generous one. And yes, I, I think that's a fair criticism. You know, I I had had no intention of doing anything other than having a convenient way of communicating and it turned out not to be so convenient. So, again, we've answered every question and we will continue to do so. Uh, But, you know, maybe being faster, trying to scramble around to find out what all of this means, I probably should have done that quicker.
2: You're willing to say it was an error in judgment? You should have apologized? No,
1: I'm not willing to say it was an error in judgment because nothing that I did was wrong. It was not it was not in any way prohibited. And not apologizing so, sooner, I mean. Well, apologizing <laughs> sooner, as soon as you can. But part of the problem, and I would just say this as not an excuse, but just as an explanation, when, some, when, you're, when you're facing something like that, you've got to get the facts. And it takes time to get the facts. And so when I said, hey, take all my emails, make them public, that had never been done before, ever, by anybody. And so we've been sorting our way through this because it is kind of a unique situation. I'm happy people are looking at the emails. Some of them are, you know, frankly, a little a little embarrassing. Um, you know, you find out that sometimes I'm not the best on technology and things like that. But, look, I think it's great. Let people sort them through. And as we have seen, there is a lot of, you know, a lot of interest. But it's something that uh, took time to get done.
0: Okay. Hillary Clinton, her programming needs an upgrade because... This is not good answer, okay when she the, the, none of that was a good answer. Well, first of all, she starts off stuttering and stumbling for a solid, about twenty seconds there, and then she goes into distraction mode and Hillary Clinton doing distraction mode when you watch her body language, Hillary Clinton's distraction mode is these very calculated and off-putting large hand motions. right She suddenly looks like Bernie Sanders. all of a sudden she's talking about and what I'm trying to tell you people is that it's really important that you look at all the facts, all the facts it's like, okay, you're going to take off if you move your hands anymore, you're generating enough airspeed, but it's but the, the point here is that she's got nothing and when she says that she wanted to, re- I mean the substance of what she's saying is nonsensical she didn't want to release the emails, that's why they were on a private server it's why she set up the private server in the first place, she received classified information on that server, when she revealed the emails to people, they had already been pre-screened by her own legal team after she deleted everything else, the FBI had to basically drill down into her data drive in order to come up with the, the information in the first place. So all of this is lies. But this is to demonstrate that when Hillary Clinton is forced to answer about her own record and what she would do, it's real awkward for her. And, and the awkwardness continued. Remember, this whole thing is a setup. right? Here's the fact. This whole thing is basically a setup. What, what I mean by that is that Hillary Clinton is – there's one point during this during this town hall – which a young person stood up and started to ask Sen- Sanders a question, Senator Sanders, and said, and it stopped himself, to, oh, Hillary Clinton, oh, I see why they asked me to ask you this question, meaning that he's a plant, right? I mean, when, 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 <laughs> when somebody gets up in the middle of an unscripted town hall and says, oh, yeah, this is why they asked me to ask you this question, uh, yeah, that's weird, that's weird. But in any case, but Hillary had no answers even to questions she should have known were coming. So, for example, here is a young Iowa voter talking to Hillary Clinton and saying, yeah, you know, everybody my age thinks that you're dishonest. And Hillary has two distraction techniques. One is the crazy hand motions, and the other is the insane, bat-blank, loony laugh that sounds like it's emanating from the maw of hell. Here is Hillary Clinton.
2: It feels like there's a lot of young people like myself um, who are very passionate supporters of Bernie Sanders, and I just don't see the same enthusiasm um, from younger people for you. Um, in fact uh, I've heard from quite a few uh, people my age that they think you're dishonest um, Mm. but I'd like to hear from you on why you feel the uh, enthusiasm isn't there
1: well I think it really depends upon who you're seeing and talking to you know today in Oskaloosa I spent time with about ten high school students who are enthusiastically working for me I see young people across the state who are doing the same Uh, but I'm I'm totally uh, happy to see young people involved in any way. That's what we want. And we want to have a good primary to pick a nominee and then we want to have everybody join together to make sure we win in November, which after all is the purpose of this whole campaign.
0: Okay. Pause so- terrible answer and she's again doing the calculated hand motions because she's very uncomfortable. So she's doing the hand motions. She's doing the hand motions, which is, I mean, she, she must be terrible at poker. By the way, when this when this young guy asks her this question, Hillary looks like if she had the power of the force choke, she would be using it right then. I mean, the, the evil basilisk-type glare that she is laying on this kid is, is pretty impressive. Um, and, and it's not just Hillary Clinton. So Bernie Sanders is gaining a lot of enthusiasm on the other side of the aisle. Uh, sorry, one, let's play one more clip of Hillary Clinton. This is not from the event last night, but Hillary Clinton was asked pretty recently, about the fact that she's been giving two hundred thousand dollars speeches for Goldman Sachs. Now, this is a problem for her because she's trying to campaign as a Wall Street outsider. Now, if you're a Wall Street outsider, you don't get paid two hundred thousand dollars uh, with for, for, in, in the Goldman in the Goldman Sachs arena. You don't you don't go to Wall Street and get paid two hundred grand a pop. Uh, and so, Hillary Clinton was asked about this not at the not at this particular event. She's asked about it by by another reporter, and the, I believe it's clip thirteen. And here is Hillary Clinton. Uh, answering the question in the most awkward possible way. I'm
3: so happy you're part of Hi, Secretary Clinton, will you release a transcript of your paid speeches to Goldman Sachs? Uh, no, there's a lot of controversy over the speeches. Secretary, is that a no? Secretary Clinton, will you release a transcript of your Goldman Sachs you speeches?
0: And no answer. By the way, every time you see these sorts of videos, she can hear him. I mean, she's one foot away. Look how close that camera is. And she's got got the crazy eyes, and she's going to pretend she's never seen this guy. Of course, she's not going to answer those questions. Hillary's got nothing. So, does Bernie have something? So, Bernie, at one point last night, he was asked about his plans to raise taxes because... It will cost 19 trillion dollars. 19 trillion in dollars—the in the entire amount of the outstanding debt of the United States. He would have to increase taxes in order to pay for all of his programs. And Bernie Sanders gives just an awful answer. Here, here is Bernie Sanders, who I, I guess he's upset because they didn't bring his Jello in time, and he, he's missed the early the early bird special, and, and so he's he he just looks a little bit a little bit grumpy. But Bernie Sanders always looks kind of grumpy. By the way, the, the new Ben & Jerry's, Jerry's ice cream I think we mentioned yesterday is called Bernie's Yearning. That's the name of the new Ben & Jerry's ice cream because they love Bernie Sanders. They're from Vermont, uh, and, uh, which, by the way, is a super awkward name for an ice cream, Bernie's Yearning, because it's like, oh, my God, yeah. Now, I got to tell you, I had Bernie's Yearning in my mouth, and it was just terrible. In any case, here, here's Bernie's Yearning explaining his new tax plan.
2: But, Chris, that is a fair criticism for the following reason. If you are paying now $10,000 a year to a private health insurance company, and I say to you hypothetically, you're going to pay $5,000 more in taxes, or actually less than that, but you're not going to pay any more private health insurance, are you going to be complaining about the fact that I've saved you $5,000 in your total bills? So it's demagogic to say, oh, you're paying more in taxes. Let's also talk about we are going to eliminate, eliminate private health insurance premiums and payments, not only for individuals, but for businesses as well. Again, we are the only country on earth that allows private insurance companies to rip us off. We spend three times more than the British, 50% more than the French. We can do better than we're doing right now. But, but just to be clear you are going to raise taxes to do this. Yes, we will raise we will raise the we will raise taxes. Yes, we will. But also let us be clear Chris because there's a little bit of disingenuity out there. What? We may raise taxes, but we are also going to eliminate private health insurance premiums for individuals and for businesses. All right. That-
0: Okay, so yes, we will raise taxes. This sort of stirring rhetoric is what won Walter Mondale one state in 1984. You remember all the way back to 1984, he did his convention speech in San Francisco, and he said, yeah, we have to be honest, we're going to raise taxes. This is not a smart line. Even Barack Obama lied in 2008 about raising taxes. I'll never raise your taxes. In 2012, he ran on, I haven't raised your taxes. And then, of course, he raised our taxes. Bernie Sanders is running on, yeah, I'm definitely going to raise your taxes He also has a magical plan where he can convert $5,000 of taxpayer money funneled through the government into giving you more for its worth than $10,000 you pay into private health insurance, which is insane. Okay, first of all, if you have a private health insurance plan that you pay $10,000 for, that is a platinum plan. I mean, that is a platinum plan. I'm not paying $10,000, and I have a kid, right? I have a wife and a kid, and they're both on my insurance plan. I am not paying $10,000 for that plan. When I was paying as an individual, I wasn't covered by my employer. I still wasn't paying that much money. $10,000 is a fortune. The only reason people are paying that right now is because of Obamacare, which has driven up premiums to record rates. Like, I don't know what magical fantasy land Bernie Sanders lives in. It must be a wonderful place where either I can give $10,000 to basically a company to help me pay for my doctors, or I can give $5,000 to Bernie Sanders and I get more from Bernie Sanders. It's just, it's insanity. But this is not a good pitch. And Bernie Sanders is not a good candidate. I mean, everybody is acting like he's, He's captivating the hearts and minds of the American public. Nobody's seen Bernie Sanders. Nobody knows who Bernie Sanders is. And there are a few Democrats who know who Bernie Sanders is. But, I mean, when you get a load of this old crazy guy shouting at the moon, it's it's not really that attractive. I mean, can you imagine this guy as president of the United States? The state of our union is $7 for a matinee performance of the latest showing of On Golden Pond. I mean, I'm sorry. It's just, no. so, So they've got nothing. The point being, they've got nothing. And even their ad campaigns are kind of pathetic. Here's Bernie Sanders' latest ad that he's running. And it's it's just – it's such ridiculousness, but it's getting us all sorts of play. But again, all of this just shows how weak the Democratic field is. Here's Sanders. let be lovers, we'll marry our fortunes together. I've got some real estate
4: here in my bag. Counting the cars on the new jersey, turn back, they come
0: to the Oh okay, so we can stop it here. All this is is just stock footage of all these people, almost pretty much everybody's white, bunch of white people who are Bernie Sanders supporters and then Bernie being really old and walking into crowds and stuff. And to, to the the strains of Simon and Garfunkel, which shows you, for people who say they're going to bring us to the future, they sure seem to focus a lot on the 1960s. Okay, like, Simon and Garfunkel went out 20 years before I was born. Right, We used to, in my high school, we used to call them Shimon and Garfunkel because they're both Jewish. but But Simon and Garfunkel, not exactly fashionable among the younger set. But Bernie Sanders, is that, that's his pitch. This is all weak tea. I'm sorry. This is weak stuff. It's not exciting. It's not interesting. It's boring, and it's weak. So what are the Democrats left with? Well, what the Democrats are left with is just what they say they're not about, which is ripping Republicans and dividing the country. That's all they care about. So Hillary last night was asked, you know, in, in one of the first debates, in the first Democratic debate, you said that the, your real enemies were the Republicans. Well, what do you have to say about that? Here's Hillary Clinton answering got another question for you. Brett Rosengren, he's from Logan, (coughs) Iowa, is going to school,
3: works as a supervisor for a janitorial company, says he's undecided, has a question. Great. Uh, Secretary Sand or Clinton, sorry. (laughs) I can see why they gave you this question. I just wanted to know which of our previous presidents has inspired you most and why.
0: Okay, first of all, that, that that would be the clip where where the kid's a plant, right? I mean, he says, "I can see why they gave you this question. Who is they? Who is they?" There, there's your evidence that this is all a plant. But anyway, here's the, here's Hillary answering uh, the the question about the GOP's enemies.
4: Um, you say you want to work with them, but you were quoted not too long ago when mm-hmm. you were listing people that you saw right. as adversaries: right. NRA, health insurance companies, probably the Republicans. Yes, they did not like that when you said that, and well. it makes them feel that well, Secretary Clinton doesn't like us. Why would she work with us? Well, understandable.
1: Yeah, well, Chris, it was kind of tongue-in-cheek, and I consider them worthy adversaries because they are. They have their set of objectives. We have ours on the Democratic side, but that's why I gave you a short Overview, I work with all of them. You know, when I'm actually in office, they say really nice things about me. We have a whole long list of the nice things they say. What a good colleague I am. How easy I am to work with. How willing I am to try to find common ground. And then when I run, oh my goodness, it's just unbelievable. So I, I have no I, I have no problems in saying, yeah, I'm sorry, we have she's political unwatchable. differences. I can't, I can't, We're on office.
0: I, I can't. I can't. Okay, so she's she's unwatchable. But. The point is she says, no, all these, I would never, I, it was all tongue in cheek. I don't mean that they're my enemies or anything. Okay, here's Hillary talking about Republicans when she's not trying to do her bipartisan routine. So so here's, here's the actual democratic campaign in a nutshell. So this would be clip 14. Hillary is asked by a Muslim woman who's in the audience about the deeply Islamophobic Republicans.
1: We have to protect ourselves in America in a unified way. That means making sure our Muslim friends and neighbors are part of us they are with us they are on the front lines of defending themselves their families their children and all the rest of us and the same is true with Muslims around the world we need a coalition that includes Muslim nations to defeat Isis and it's pretty hard to figure out how you are gonna make a coalition with the very nations you need if you spend your time insulting their religion. So we need to stand up and point out how wrong this is.
0: Field goal. Okay, so Hillary Clinton uh, basically ripping on Donald Trump there, right? So her entire campaign really is opposition. So the, the point of, uh, of this juxtaposition that I'm showing you is that when it comes to the Democrats, the only thing that they really have here, the only thing that they truly have, is ripping on Republicans, even Martin O'Malley, right? Here's Martin O'Malley trying to out Hillary and out Sanders, Hillary and Sanders. Martin O'Malley is is asked a question and he immediately swivels it on Donald Trump and how evil the Republicans are. So to those that
2: are still um, you know, undecided like me or maybe just less informed about politics, um, on top of what you've already talked about, what, what's the last thing that you would try to tell them to convince them that you are in fact the best candidate for the Democratic Party?
3: Thank you. This is what I would say. I would say that time and time again in the history of uh, the state of Iowa, Iowa has found a way to sort through the noise and to sort through the national polls and to lift up a new leader for our country at times when that was critical and essential. That's what you did eight years ago when you lifted up Barack Obama to lead our country forward. And we need to build upon his good work by continuing to move forward. And. Uh, I am, the only, uh, uh, I am the only one of the three of us who has a track record, not of being a divider, but of bringing people together to get meaningful things done, raising the living wage, making college more affordable, creating jobs, healing wounds and divisions. That's what our country needs right now. Uh, we are a great people, we are a generous, and we are a compassionate people, and we are far better than the sort of fascist rhetoric that you hear spewed out by Donald Trump. The enduring symbol of our country is not a barbed wire fence. It is the Statue of Liberty.
0: And we... He's a uniter, not a divider, remember. He's a uniter, not a divider. Also, Donald Trump is a fascist who wants to replace the Statue of Liberty with barbed wire. Yep, that's their campaign. So, when you are asked next about why it is that Democrats are running such an upbeat campaign, you can rightly answer they aren't. Hillary Clinton at one point said about—I think it was Jeb Bush, actually— said about Donald Trump, you can't insult your way to the presidency. Why? Why can't you? Barack Obama did it twice. I'm I'm wondering exactly why Hillary and Sanders or any of these other folks can't do it. Okay, swiveling to the right side of the aisle. I want to talk for a second about the polls. Latest poll out of Iowa has Ted Cruz up seven. Again, I think that that Cruz is going to win. I think that if it's a close race, where Marco Rubio comes in matters. If he comes in third, if he finishes stronger than expected— then Rubio will have a shot in New Hampshire. In the polls in New Hampshire, John Kasich is running a strong second now. He's up to 17 to 20%. So that race is still wide open. But what's really amazing about all of this is that Donald Trump is still winning a heavy segment of the conservative vote, even though there are people like me saying Donald Trump is not a conservative. And I think a lot of that is attitudinal. <clears throat> I think a lot of that is Donald Trump seeming as though he's, he's going to take the fight to the other side. But that's not what Donald Trump is actually going to do. Donald Trump is not going to take the fight to the other side, which is why the establishment is more comfortable with Trump than they are with Ted Cruz, whose entire raison d'etre is to do this. For example, clip nine, here's Donald Trump talking about George W. Bush and Barack Obama in foreign policy.
3: President George W. Bush, he was in office right. in 2007. Absolutely. When he said, I'm no fan. I've I, never been a but fan of Bush. Who's more responsible for the weakening of America internationally? Right. Would it be President Bush or President Obama? Because you can very bear-
4: I think Bush did a bad job, and I think Obama carried it out. He continued to do a bad job. Uh, Who do you blame more? uh, I would say that it's pretty equal. I would say that Obama's been very, very weak. It could have been stemmed at the beginning of his his administration. What he didn't do is he didn't stop Obama. Uh, The devaluation of the Chinese currency has absolutely destroyed us. It's killed us. They have created one of the great thefts of all time. They have stripped our country of jobs, of money, of, of factories. You look at the number of factories that have closed. And I'm not only talking about China, I'm talking about other countries too. Look at Mexico, what they're doing to it. It's unbelievable. That's a mini version of China.
0: Okay, we can pause it here. And so the, 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 the relevant point them. of this particular clip is not Trump's economic you know, idiocy. I mean, he actually doesn't understand basic economics. The fact is the Chinese devaluation hurts the world economy only because it means that they have a fake stock market. So if we invest in their stock market, it has problems for us. But the fact is that China devaluing its own currency really doesn't hurt us economically in any real way. It just creates fake growth. In any case, the part here that's relevant is that Trump says that Bush and Obama are about equal in terms of hurting America's foreign policy. How? How? I mean that's that's such a lie. It's not even true. And then Trump carries that forward. He's asked about Ted Cruz and he says well, the big problem for Ted is that Ted's a jerk. You know, I'm going to be nice to everybody. Ted's going to be a jerk. This is clip 11.
4: Hey, I lived in New York City and Manhattan all my life, okay? So, you know, my views are a little bit different than if I lived in Iowa. They
1: are different, like on abortion. Would President Trump ban partial birth
4: abortion? Well, look, I have no choice in every respect.
1: And what does Trump think about Iowa? How stupid are the people of Iowa? <laughs> Donald Trump, New York values, not ours.
3: Donald, what's your reaction to that ad, particularly the well,
4: first part it's that just you're a footballer? I'll, I'll give you an example. First of all, I am pro life, and everyone understands that. I'm pro life. But but going into a second thing about how stupid are the people of Iowa, I said, then I said, how stupid are the people of the United States? And I was talking about because everybody in this country was believing, I'm not going to mention his name, but it was a certain candidate in was no doing too well. It was Ben Carson's yeah, Tales it was of Hammers his mother's I didn't head. Say Iowa, I said, Iowa, and then I said United States. He didn't put United United States. Because Ted Cruz lies. He's a liar. And that's why nobody likes him. That's why his Senate people won't endorse him. That's why he stands on the middle of the Senate floor and can't make a deal with anybody. He looks like a jerk. He's standing all by himself. And, you know, there's something to say about having a little bit of ability to get other people to do things. You can't be a lone wolf and stand there for that. And that's sort of what we have right now as a president. We have a president that can't get anything done, so he just keeps signing executive orders all over the place. Did
1: you just make a parallel between Ted Cruz and President Obama
4: well they're the same I think actually Ted is more strident than Obama if you want to know the truth nobody gets along with Ted at least some people like Obama nobody likes Ted I don't find anybody that likes him you talk to senators I talk to senators that frankly want to come out and endorse me you know it's amazing what's happened over the last two weeks I told this to Joe Mika over the last two weeks so many people are calling and saying you know, we want to get involved with you. We want to endorse you. We have Okay, make-
0: enough of Trump and his, his blather. They, here's the point. Donald Trump is establishment because Donald Trump wants to get along with those people. He wants to get along with the senators. The fact that he's comparing Ted Cruz to Obama, first of all, if that were true, God willing that were true, that he'd be the right-wing Obama. Are you kidding? That'd I mean, be the best thing that the Republican Party could ever have would be a right-wing Obama considering the amount of damage that Obama has done because he's not willing to work with other people. We don't need somebody who's going to go into the Senate and make deals with people. We don't need a deal maker. We need somebody who's willing to say no and use the power of the presidency to say no. But this is the point. Donald Trump is is continuing to campaign as both the anti-establishment candidate and the establishment candidate, which is really weird. Okay, I want to turn from the presidential race for a minute to talk about what's happening with the Planned Parenthood case. So apparently over in, in, I think it's Harris County, Texas, uh, it, there's, there's now a grand jury that has indicted. They were, they were asked to take a look into the Planned Parenthood case. For those who don't remember, there's a group called the Center for Medical Progress, and the Center for Medical Progress cut a bunch of undercover videos where they pretended to be a, a basically a broker for baby parts to sell to research, research facilities, and they met with a bunch of Planned Parenthood executives, and they got the Planned Parenthood executives on tape saying that they would sell the baby body parts for particular prices because they needed to buy Lamborghinis and such. So this went to a grand jury in Harris County. They indicted no one from Planned Parenthood. Instead, they decided to indict the two whistleblowers. They decided to indict the two whistleblowers on two counts. One is a count of using a fake ID. So apparently they were using fake IDs with fake names. So they used fake California IDs with fake names. And two was they decided to indict the whistleblowers for attempting to buy baby body parts. So they set up a sting where they had no intention of buying baby body parts, but they wanted to prove that Planned Parenthood would sell baby body parts, and now they may go to jail. And on the fake ID question, okay, I don't know a 16-year-old in the United States who's never used a fake ID at any point. I may be the only one who never used a fake ID. And there are illegal immigrants all over Texas and California using fake IDs. None of them are going to jail. Sandy Berger smuggled out national security documents in his pants and didn't end up going to jail. Hillary Clinton put classified information on her personal server, and is not going to jail. So these guys, it it carries a 20-year sentence. They could go to jail for 20 years for having used a fake ID in order to infiltrate an evil organization to demonstrate how evil they were for the public. Which just goes to show you that the criminal justice system can indeed be flawed if you have a prosecutor who's out for political purposes. And most of the time when it comes to criminal justice cases, there's not really a particular purpose attached. But when it comes to abortion... In some cases, there is, because this is what we call pure and simple a railroading. Democrats, back in October, were asking Attorney General of California, Kamala Harris, to prosecute the whistleblowers on these same grounds, on the ID grounds. So you have two questions here. One was Planned Parenthood killing babies and selling their parts. Two were the people investigating Planned Parenthood using fake IDs. And the grand jury decided the people selling the fake IDs were the real problem. Which even if you believe that, that that they broke the law and the Planned Parenthood people didn't, that's more a, a question of what we should do to prevent to, to change the law than it is these people should go to jail. So that's that's totally insane. Okay, I want to do some things that I like and some things that I hate because the truth is it's kind of the truth is it's kind of a slow news day, um, and uh, everybody's sort of waiting for the the Republican debate, which is supposed to happen. Donald Trump making noises about skipping the Republican debate. So time for some things that I like and time for some things that I hate. Okay. Things that I like. Um, somebody asked me what kind of music I like listening to. I've said before, I'm a big classical music fan. Uh, and so here is my uh, probably my, my favorite piece of violin music. People constantly asking, not constantly, I get sporadic questions about what's my favorite violin music because I was a world-class violinist. Uh, the Brahms violin sonatas are probably my favorite violin music. Um, it's, it's obviously piano and violin. That's what a sonata is. And, uh, and it's, it's spectacular music. It's just glorious music. Uh, I actually, when, when I, at my circumcision ceremony when I was eight days old, my dad and one of his friends played the first Brahms Sonata. At my wedding, we played the first Brahms Sonata. And at my kid's circumcision, my next kid's circumcision, we'll play the Brahms Sonata. So it's sort of a Shapiro family tradition that we play the first movement of the Brahms Sonata in D major. Uh, so it's a big fan of the Brahms Violin Sonatas. You can find them on YouTube. They're really amazing pieces. Uh, Brahms is spectacular. Okay. Time for some things that I hate. So let's start with what people on the left think is funny. So apparently, so I, I've subscribed to the Lena Dunham newsletter. It's called Lenny. And it's awful. I mean, it's truly an awful piece of garbage. And it's all about abortion. And it's all about leftism. And it's just ridiculous in every way it's possible for it to be ridiculous. It's exactly what you would think an untalented hack famous for getting naked and being overweight would write. Uh, and And that's pretty much what it is. So in today's issue of Lenny, there's a piece by Elizabeth Merriweather. Elizabeth Merriweather, if you've never heard of Elizabeth Merriweather, there's no reason you should have, she is the creator and executive producer of New Girl on Fox, which is actually a quasi-funny show. Like New Girl, at least at the beginning, I think it sort of died about halfway through the second season, but first season of New Girl is actually a pretty funny show. She's now written a piece that is her erotic fantasy about Ted Cruz. Seriously, it's her erotic fantasy about Ted Cruz. And she quotes Ted Cruz talking to uh, – oh, what's the name of that, that chick? Uh, Ellen um, – uh, the, the one from uh, Inception, the, the one who came out as a lesbian recently. And uh, she's in the movie – Ellen Page, thank you. Yeah, Ellen Page. So you remember Ellen Page confronted Ted Cruz, and, t- and she asked him about same-sex marriage. And Ted Cruz said, I don't see why you guys are so upset about how gays are being treated in this country when gays are treated pretty great in this country. They're killing gays over in ISIS land, and you don't care. So Elizabeth Merriweather quotes Ted Cruz, and then – She says, Ted Cruz was right. Like all liberals, I was obsessed with sex. And then, like all liberals, I didn't care about foreign policy at all. At all. But Ted Cruz changed my mind. Why are gay people complaining about anything? As long as we aren't executing them like ISIS, what is the problem? The same thing applies to women. Are you being publicly executed? No. Then don't talk to me about insurance covering prenatal care. And she writes a couple of paragraphs about how terrible Ted Cruz is. And then she gets to her real point, which is she has some bizarre sexual fetishes and fantasies. So she writes, I brought Ted Cruz up to my hotel room with the promise of showing him my lower back tattoo of the Second Amendment where all the vowels were replaced with yin-yangs. But I think we both knew what had to happen next. And then there's this whole weird thing where he's crying and he won't have sex with her. So she takes him down to a secret basement where sex-obsessed liberals go to have sex with one another like beasts. Quote, there was Matt Damon dipping his testicles, she doesn't use the word testicles, into Nancy Pelosi's hair like a bird of prey laying eggs in a nest of twigs. (laughs) This is what she's writing, okay, and this is supposed to be like her attempt at humor, right, this parody, I don't know if she's parodying exactly. Elizabeth Warren scissored Debbie Wasserman Schultz like she was in preschool, and someone had just taught her how to make a snowflake. Hillary was sitting on FDR's lap, dressed up as a sexy Depression-era nurse, purring into his ear. I'm going to make wages go up, FDR whispered back, his voice dripping, dripping with lust. You're making me go up, girl. So this is what leftists consider to be humorous. Like, this is actually what they... And then, finally, they end up meeting... They end up meeting Barack Obama, who, for some odd reason, apparently, is naked and beautiful and playing a tambourine. So, this is how people in Hollywood think. And this is what people in Hollywood think is funny. And what I'm just confused about is... Are we in third grade? Did I miss the part where this is considered high class, highbrow humor? This, by the way, was was one of Lena Dunham's friends from Girls, some chick named Jenna, uh, and and she edits when Lena Dunham is busy abusing her younger sister, presumably, and uh, and Jenna writes that this is the finest piece of parody fiction that she's ever read, which I mean, honestly, the only shock there is that she can read. Um, but it's but this is what leftists consider to be humor. Humor is a bunch of people doing random sexual things to each other for no apparent reason, and Ted Cruz is a prude. That's the humor. By the way, leftists tend to think that people on the right are prudes. Why do we have more children than you? Why do we have more sex than you? Why are our sex lives happier than yours, all of you sexually free people on the left? Why is this? By every available poll. I remember one time I, I, I had a very poor law firm interview record coming out of Harvard Law because I was conservative and my resume had the titles of my books on it. I remember there was one interview that I did, I think I've said this before, with, with a guy from Gibson Dunn, which was supposedly a conservative firm. This guy was not conservative. And as I walked in, he, before I could even sit down, he said, it's always been my contention that conservatives and religious people in general have a Freudian fear of sex. That's how he leads off a law firm interview. At that point, I knew I wasn't getting the job, so I told him he was a stupid idiot. Um, and I said that was the dumbest thing that I've ever heard. But People on the left, have they they do have a real obsession with sex. Like the accusation is that people on the right are obsessed with sex. No, people on the right are obsessed with sexual morality. People on the left are obsessed with sex. People on the right understand that sex is part of a healthy life. They understand that sex is part of a healthy marriage. They understand that sex has its place. And they are obsessed with the idea that if sex overruns those boundaries, it ends up infecting the society with real externalities like the rise in STDs and single motherhood. People on the left are just obsessed with where people put their genitals. People on the left just are deeply crazed with what is the next fad, right? And they're always obsessed with pushing the boundaries. All human beings like to push boundaries, but the left thinks that all boundaries have to be broken, which means they're constantly searching for the next taboo, which is why eventually the left is going to full-scale embrace pedophilia. And all of the, you know, there's a movie out that's a very good movie called Spotlight uh, that I'll, I'll probably talk about Spotlight tomorrow, I think, because I'm in the middle of the film. But the, but, you know, the left is very much against pedophilia for now. Right? And, and you wonder how long that's going to last because as they lower the age of consent, they're already saying at Salon.com, well, who are you to label people who have attraction to children? Isn't that biological? These are folks who are obsessed with sex. And, and I'm sorry, but if, you, if, if your contention is you're not obsessed with sex, so you write a pornographic story about Ted Cruz, you're sort of proving Ted Cruz's point just a little bit. All right, so some other things that I, I hate. Woody Allen and Miley Cyrus are now doing a, a series for Amazon. Uh, Woody Allen... By most accounts, should probably be in prison for child molestation. Uh, the evidence that he molested his his stepdaughter are pretty significant, uh, and there's a reason that his his son, well, really it's not his son; it's actually Frank Sinatra's son, uh, Frank Sinatra's son Ronan Farrow, uh, was tweeting today that he can't believe Woody Allen is doing another series. As if you're a molester or a rapist, then uh, you get away with it in Hollywood, which is basically true. He's doing a series with Miley Cyrus, so all the perversions unite there. And speaking of Hollywood. I want to talk briefly about, there's there's a new movie that's supposed to be coming out, and it's making a big splash over at Sundance. Uh, it's this new movie called Birth of a Nation, but it's not like 1919 Birth of a Nation. It's not the the Ku Klux Klan going after black rapists, KKK propaganda Birth of a Nation. Instead, it's, it's Nat Turner's Rebellion Birth of a Nation. Now, look, it's hard to say that Nat Turner was wrong or deeply evil for rebelling against slave owners, right? Slaves rebelling against slave owners is basically as old as time itself. Go back to Spartacus. I mean, the idea that slaves have a right to fight their slave owners, I think everyone believes that slaves have a moral right to fight their slave owners. He had had organized this slave rebellion. This is all the way back in 1831. And he started with a bunch of slaves. And then he eventually gathered 70 enslaved and free blacks. And uh, he ended up killing a bunch of people. And there's... One significant problem with all of this. And this is the problem that I have here, by the way. There are 55 in, or somewhere between 55 and 65 whites who were killed in the rebellion. And afterward, 200 black people were hanged or murdered. Uh, and, uh, and there were a bunch of laws that were passed. Apparently, state legislatures passed all sorts of laws cracking down on slaves, preventing them from learning how to read, preventing them from learning how to write. There had to be white people present at, at any sort of religious ceremonies in which slaves were involved. And this is the problem. So Hollywood has now entered this phase where we can't talk about what actually ended slavery. What actually ended slavery were a bunch of white people who decided that slavery was deeply evil and wrong. That's actually what ended slavery. I mean, let's be real about this. It was hundreds of thousands of white people dying on the field of battle to flee to, to free black people that ended slavery in the United States. It was the British Navy that ended slavery around the world. Okay, It was not a bunch of black folks who ended slavery, which is not to say that black folks shouldn't fight slavery. They should. The point I'm making is that Because we refuse to acknowledge the real reason that slavery ended, because we refuse to acknowledge the brave white folks who worked with black folks on on their behalf, because we do that, we exacerbate racial tensions now, today. Because remember, this movie isn't coming out in 1831 or 1855. It's not Harriet Beecher Stowe. This is coming out in 2016. So the purpose of the film is obviously to suggest, and this is what you'll get, I promise you, in the press junket. Mathis apparently has been watching this closely, but at the press junket, I guarantee you what you're going to hear is that the world is still deeply racist. Western civilization is still deeply racist. And this movie shows how far we've come, but how far we still have to go, that black people are still fighting their white oppressors in Western civilization. And so the idea is the more militant you are toward white people, the more you get. There's only one problem with this. It's not historically true. Nat Turner's rebellion probably led to the lengthening of slavery by at least 20 years in the United States. Right? It happened in 1831. And slavery wasn't formally ended in the United States until after 1865. There was a massive backlash. So this is sort of like when I discussed, the left has now decided that militance is the best possible strategy. This is You remember a few months ago, I discussed this movie, uh, what was it called, um, Suffragette. I discussed the movie Suffragette here on the podcast. And I said that they made it seem like it was women who were fighting that ended the, the male patriarchy and, and allowed women to vote. And it's not true. It actually prevented men from voting to allow women to vote for approximately, at least a decade. So in other words, militance toward the, the dominant social structure that is already moving toward your side is not a particularly useful tactic, but the left has decided that militance is the best possible strategy. And it actually does have some cultural ramifications. If the idea is that you have to rebel against white society, that's how you get what you need. That's not how change actually comes about, not in the United States, and really not in the United States historically. It, it just hasn't been true. Uh, and, and so again, that's not a rip on Nat Turner. Really, it's not, it's not a rip on John Brown even, although John Brown is more controversial. It certainly is a rip on Hollywood, which seeks to glorify vigilantism when it's convenient, but forgets that vigilantism actually did not benefit or forward the interests of black people or women. And it's not going to forward the interests of people today. I mean, they make movies like Stonewall and, and, and movies like Suffragette and movies like this movie about Nat Turner in the suggestion that if black people rise up and riot in Ferguson or Baltimore, this is somehow forwarding the cause. It isn't. It's actually highly, highly counterproductive. Okay, final thing that I dislike for the day, Marco Rubio, all of these candidates now have to do this sort of cultural reach out. Uh, they, they, they do these dances, and they do these, you know, we've seen Hillary Clinton doing the whip and the nay which is something that I think everyone could live without. Marco Rubio has now done another video where he's playing football, and here it is, Marco Rubio playing football.
1: Marco Rubio made a campaign stop in Des Moines, Iowa, Tuesday.
0: A game of catch
2: with Republican presidential candidate Marco Rubio <laughs> did not go so well.
4: Rubio hit him in the face and
3: knocked him down. I think the Jets are probably going to sign him next. <laughs> so just to- in the head in the he, kid, he just <laughs> ate it. Clearly, it was a bad throw. Come on, Marco, throw. you can do this. <laughs> Man, these dolphins suck. A really good coalition
1: of faith leaders in Iowa. When it comes to New Hampshire...
2: Dangers of flying footballs, that investigation should be bipartisan. It should be bicameral. And it should be serious.
4: <laughs> Manheels, you're telling me those are presidential? I'm feeling microaggressions from the...
3: Long pre- <laughs> declined <laughs> by 80%.
2: Marco Rubio throwing footballs like crazy
0: I can't work like this Okay so I have to admit Come on I have to admit I sort of like this and I sort of hate it So Independent Journal Review cut this video If you can't see it it's kind of funny It's got Marco Rubio at the very beginning throwing a football There's a video of him from Iowa where he throws a football And it hits a kid in the head uh, and it's pretty funny <laughs> the kid wasn't hurt obviously if the kid actually gets hurt it's not funny it's one of those things where if i bump my head my wife laughs until i have to go to the hospital uh, so it, so and then it has marco rubio throwing footballs in various public figures ranging from grover norquist to my friend larry o'connor over in dc to uh, to tom coburn catching footballs or being hit by footballs and it's and it's pretty funny the reason that i dislike this is because basically as i always say our celebrity and culture our celebrity and political figures have now merged I can't imagine Abraham Lincoln doing a lot of this. Uh, it's it's hard to imagine George Washington doing a lot of this. So okay, I guess it's sort of charming, but it's also kind of sad. Final note. Okay, so um, there's there's something that you should check out on Twitter if you haven't already. It's it's something that I just had some fun with today. Uh, I was thinking about it, and after watching that that town hall between Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders, I. Actually, it occurred to me because I'm a sick person. It occurred to me that I actually would watch a rom com. They're, they're making a rom com about they're making a romance drama about Barack and Michelle, which is, ugh. but what I would actually watch is a, a rom com about Hillary and Bernie Sanders. Uh, I would absolutely watch that rom com, and we would call it "Burning for Love" with an e. Uh, and uh, and I think it would be highly amusing. I mean, you can see the plot playing out, right? She was a robot until a crazy old man screaming at the moon opened her up to her emotional side. Uh, And it would be it would would just be great. Like you'd have her having to decide whether to divorce Bill to be with Bernie and Bernie having to decide whether he wanted to to eat that Jello or not. And both of them just staring longingly into each other's eyes. And then Hillary having it it would you remember that Star Trek movie where Data's emotion chip fused with with his with his robot side? It would be like that with Hillary Clinton. And then at the very end, I have I have two options for an ending. So I'll let you vote on it. You can send me your comments. I have two options for the ending of, of Burning for Love. Uh, option one is that it's, it's sort of bittersweet that it was, it, was a, it was just a moment in time, and they sort of let it pass them by, Bernie and Hillary, and they go on running against each other, and she goes back to Bill. And then the, the second option is that she divorces Bill, marries Bernie, and then Bernie becomes president, and she ends up as First Lady again, which could be funny. I'm just mm-hmm. saying. So those are the two options for the brand-new movie Burning for Love starring Larry David as Bernie Sanders and Harvey Firestein as Hillary Clinton. And I'm, I, I think, I can't say, I, I, I don't see how this can mess. I mean, honestly, if Woody Allen and Miley Cyrus can make an Amazon series, I don't see, wouldn't you watch this? Come on, come on. This, this thing would make at least $3. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First,